just don't have time for that this morning, but we're glad you're here, and I want to get into Ruth and, and chapter 1, but before we do, when you look at the book of Ruth, of course you see a conclusion to uh, the book of Judges, and uh, what a uh, disappointing way to start it, but in the end, it is once an amazing thing, and what God does, and what it means for you and me today. In fact, the story is, is such a great work of art, if you will, that Benjamin Franklin, he was serving in the French court, and he heard some aristocrats degenerating the Holy Bible is not worth reading it as all. It lacks style, etc. And Franklin, you know, frankly got tired of hearing it, and so he proceeded to copy Ruth in longhand during this dissertation. He changed all the names of Ruth to French names. He then read the manuscript to the aristocratic enlist who... Uh, to a man praise the elegance and civil style of the touching story. And they listened to this story and they said, wow, what elegance, what a great story. And they said, uh, Franklin, where did you find this gem of literature, Monsieur Franklin? And Franklin quipped, it comes from that book that you so despise, the Holy Bible. And so what a wonderful story it is. We get the opportunity to go through it and starting in the first five verses this morning. Once you have found it, if you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. We'll read just the first five verses this morning, and uh, unlike normal, we'll just go through the first five verses. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malon and Chilion, Ephrodites. Epaphrite, sorry, of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Ophrah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, but before we do, during the message toward the end, I'm going to incorporate the Lord's Supper in it, so we will be observing that as well this morning, and so you'll know that. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It certainly is good uh, to be in your house today, and thank you for each and every person you brought away. Some, Lord, faithful members. Others, Lord, have been visiting, and Lord, maybe just seeing what you would have for them, and maybe some are here today searching for the truth, and searching for the gospel, maybe, and they don't even know it, and maybe they're searching for you, and may today their hearts and eyes be opened, and may they come to save the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and perhaps maybe there's some today that are visiting family and friends, and are just here for a few days, and we're so glad they're here. May they be loved and appreciated, and know how much we enjoy having them here. May they enjoy their time with their family. Uh, be with the nursery, be with the children's ministry, be with the teens, and Lord, all that has already gone on today. Lord, your hand has obviously been here. You've blessed it, and I believe you have been praised, and we do seek to worship you. You are the creator of the heavens. You are the master of the sea. You are uh, the maintainer, and you keep everything going. You're the sustainer, and thank you that we get to come just as humble servants and be able to worship you, and thank you for your goodness to us as we get observed. Lord, by the Lord's Supper, and remember your goodness to us and what you did for us on Calvary. Lord, be with us today as we look at Ruth, Lord, and 
We look at enduring chastening, Lord, but also uh, experiencing your grace. And uh, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to learn through trials and even chastening in our life. And Lord, also be able to experience your grace and mercy through it all. And I pray that we'll be helped and challenged and encouraged and strengthened today like only you can do. We sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, I was reading a story this week. There was four expectant fathers and the labor ward of a hospital. And a few minutes went by, and the nurse came out and went to the first one and says, Congratulations, you are the father of twins. He says, Oh, wow, what a coincidence. He says, I actually work for the Minnesota Twins. That's really neat. Well, about an hour passed, and the nurse came out again, went to the second one and says, Congratulations, you're the father of triplets. He says, That is so astounding. You work for the Twins? Guess what? I work for the 3M company. This is amazing. Uh, about another hour or two went by, and once again, uh, the nurse came in and says, Hey, sir, uh, uh, congratulations, you're the father of quadruplets. He says, No way, I work for Four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> he says, This is just amazing. About that time, the fourth man there fainted on the floor. <laughs> the nurse came up to him and says, Sir, sir, are you okay? They revived him, and all they could hear him say was, why did I take that job for 7-Up? Why did I take that job for 7-Up? And so forth. Now, obviously that's not a true story. I saw some of you, hey, wait a minute here. But we see this morning that trials and testings and hard times can come. Some come because of our chastening. We see that, as in the life of David and Bathsheba. Some, though, are just trials for our own good, though we don't understand why. We think of Joseph. We think of Job. Uh, We think of Daniel and the strengthening of our faith, if you will, and the forming us and as the potter and forms the clay. And there's times where we go through things. We don't know why, but God is doing something in our life. And maybe that is you this morning. Maybe you are being chastened by God. I don't want you to be confused and think this message is if you're going through a hard time that God's chastening you. Now, he may be. And we need to search our hearts and let God work. But it may be that we're just going through a trial in life. But whatever the case may be, I think we can learn from the story how to deal with the chastings, the trials, the hard things of life. And really we see a pattern here, and I think we can learn some principles here. So if you're writing this morning, we uh, see uh, uh, if you want to get in your notes. Uh, before I give you that, I want to give you uh, one last illustration Uh, There was a Swiss mountaineer named George D. Mestral. He uh, was walking and hiking through the woods, and he was going up into the Alps, and he was getting very frustrated by the burrs that kept clinging to him on the way up, and he had to keep pulling them off, and he was getting so annoyed by him, so aggravated by him, he thought it was becoming a burden, a time waster, and he was just getting aggravated by him, and they, when they would stay on there, they would stick to him, and they'd, they'd start aggravating him, and He got so upset, and it dawned on him. What if this could compete with the zipper? And that's where the idea of Velcro was born. All because of a trial, a frustration, an inconvenience in his life. So what Velcro moment maybe are you going through? Or maybe what chastening moment are you going through this morning? We can really respond three ways. Elimelech ran away from his trial, from his chastening. 
And because of that, he faced several sad consequences and sinful choices. He can become, you can become bitter maybe, as Mara. You can leave pleasant and then end up becoming bitter because of what you're going through. But you can also embrace them as Ruth did. New opportunities, new beginnings, and experiencing God's mercy and grace for the first time in your life as we see in Ruth's life today. And how we can actually become... And we're actually more like Ruth than what we realize. And we'll show that in just a little bit. So number one, if you're writing here, uh, the way to endure chastening or to experience grace is the reality of trials or the reality of chastening, if you will. Whichever one maybe possibly you're going through this morning. The Bible says in verse number one, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now we know a little bit about these days. We've been studying them for the last ten months. So... We know that the book of Judges, of course, was the time when the children of Israel were supposed to conquer the land. They didn't end up conquering most. In fact, the land that they conquered the most was actually their own people, the Benjamites, as we saw the last couple of weeks. But when was this particular time? Well, Irving Jensen thinks it was in order for Boaz to father Obed, to father Jesse, to father David, it would have to be right about the time of Tola and Jer. If you remember, Tola and Jer just had one verse each in the Bible, maybe two, and they were sandwiched in between Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech took the throne from Gideon, even though he wasn't a judge, God rose up. He kind of just through his ingenuity and through his conniving became the judge. And then if you remember Jephthah, he was that pirate, if you will. And he came and, and he was able to take him. He had to sacrifice his daughter and what a story that was. And so this was not a great time to be alive if you were a Christian because you were facing the very frustration of God, if you will. So it was a time... When everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel. In fact, uh, Samuel experienced this when he talked to God in 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, where they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. So we understand this morning that they were not rejecting the judge, if you will, God had placed in the position. They were rejecting God Almighty. And don't we understand and don't we see that maybe in our day and age today? Many people fail to accept God as a true God, and they want their own gods. They experience what they want to experience. But what we know is what Philippians 2.10 tells us, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And whether we want to acknowledge God or not, whether we want to do right in our own eyes or not, we do know one thing, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day everyone will bow down. And one day everyone will confess that he is the Lord. And so Ruth is one individual's faithfulness and a generation of faithlessness. And it shows us that there can be a remnant even in the midst of a wicked society. And aren't you thankful today? You're in a group of people today. For probably the most part, we are faithfully trying to please the Lord with our lives. We are not alone. And though there is a bunch of sin in our culture around us, we do know we can stand for Jesus Christ. But really the thought, if you will, to start off is, are you more judges-minded or are you more Ruth-minded in your life? In other words, are you seeking to do that which is right in your own eyes 
Or are you seeking to be the faithful one like Ruth who was seeking out God? I do believe when you see the ends of each book, it will be very obvious who you should be choosing and what you should be following after. First uh, Corinthians 10.11, these things happened unto them for examples, written for our admonition. So may we learn from these books. May we learn from these stories that will help us. But as we look to start off this book, we have to understand there's a bigger picture here. Even though there's a great story and a great ending, there's a bigger picture. And that picture was there's a group of people that are doing that which is right in their own eyes. So because of that, God's judgment is going to come, as we'll read here in a few minutes. And we see that there is a man who is fleeing God's judgment. He's done with it. He's done struggling through it. He doesn't want anything more to do with it. He doesn't like the trial. He doesn't like what he's going through. And he's trying to get him and his family out of it. It reminds me the the story of a couple who had been married for 50 years. But 50 years full of misery. They had fought every day of their marriage. She said, I'll change if you change. He says, well, I'll change if you change. And they did that for 50 years. Well, on the 50th wedding anniversary, the children threw a party for him, and away they went back to their separate ways, and the wife turned to her husband and said, we've lived together for 50 years, but it's been miserable. We fought every day. I think it's time to change. In fact, I've been praying that things would change. I've been praying that the Lord would take one of us home. The husband looked at his wife and thought, wow. And she says... When he answers my prayer, I'm going to live with my sister in Grand Rapids. There's times when it's just hard doing the right things, is it not? There's times when the chastening of God is as much. There's times when the trials of life can be hard. So no matter what you're going through today, we do know that there's a reality of trials. But number two, I want us to see the resisting of trials. The resisting. This man did not want to endure the reality anymore. He wanted to resist it, and he wanted to run. The Bible says there in the time of Judges that there was a famine in the land. So what's worse than people doing that which is right into our own eyes? Now they have to deal with the lack of food, the lack of water, and their beasts and their fields were struggling. The people were hungry. Their their, their bellies, if you will, were crying out. And the Bible says that famine should not have happened. In the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. So the promised land was not supposed to have the famines. It wasn't supposed to experience that. It was supposed to be a good land flowing with milk and honey if the people did what God wanted them to do. And that's what Leviticus 26 tells us. And if ye will not yet... For all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So what is happening here was because the people were choosing to do things in their own eyes, there was no king, I'm not going to follow God's law. Well, I'm not going to follow God's law. God says, okay, well, if you do not hearken unto me, you will not bear fruit, you will not do Good things, because famine was something that God used to judge them. And that's what happened in Judge 2.11. They know the ultimatum. If you follow the Lord, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow the Lord, if you don't seek him, then you will not yield your fruits. You will not yield increase. And so what happens? Judges 2.11. 
The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers and followed other gods. And so they provoked the Lord to anger. So what does God do? He sends a famine. Famine, in the Hebrew, is rab, which is prolonged scarcity of food accompanied by extreme hunger. In fact, it's listed as one of God's four sore acts of judgment in Ezekiel 14, verse 21. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four judgments, sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine. So it was one of the things God did to get his people's attention. In fact, God used the famine as a means of judgment in Jeremiah 5, as a means of warning in 1 Kings 17, of course with Elijah, we understand that, of correction in 2 Samuel 21, of punishment in Jeremiah 14, and of humbling in Deuteronomy 8. But in this particular passage, God used the famine as expressing sovereign control. You see, famine was always under divine control, being planned and used by God. We see in Deuteronomy 30 the reason why we can say this. God says, and we won't read it all today, but if the people would repent, God would withdraw his anger and lift the famine. The Bible says that in Deuteronomy. So God had already taught the people this. Moses had taught the people this. They knew this. They knew what they were choosing to do, doing that which is right in their own eyes, rejecting God, doing what they want, was going to cause eventual some sort. Of course, sometimes it was from, uh, uh, of course, Moab before, Eglon coming, and sometimes it was from the other kings of Arabia and other places that would come in and judge. Other times it was simply from within. And God says, okay, I'm going to judge you with this famine. The irony of this famine is if you look up the name Bethlehem Judah, which is actually farther down in verse number one, there was a certain man at Bethlehem Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread. It's interesting because Bethlehem Epaphra and Micah uses it as a means of fruitfulness. And Bethlehem is also means praise. So house of bread, uh, it means uh, fruitfulness, and it means praise. None of that was happening right then. Why? Because God was bringing judgment. So as one commentary says, famines are the classrooms in which the Father gives us the opportunity for our faith to be tested and to grow. If we yield to his loving hand. So in this particular case, famines was, was God's opportunity for the people to say, hey, wait a minute here. Let, let's get things right. Let's repent of our way of thinking. Let's repent of doing right in our lives. Let's follow God's will for our life. So what happens? Well, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, and the name of the man was Elimelech. Now this is, of course, the third story now from Bethlehem. If you remember the last two were Levites, which was Moses' grandson and then Joshua's grandson, uh, 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 or not Joshua's grandson, he was Phinehas. But the other Levite that we talked about in the concubine were all from Bethlehem. You'll see a common thread here of three stories. And by the way, what is eventually going to happen in Bethlehem? The birth of our Savior. But Bethlehem was not that great of a city at that point. But you see that's where he is. And Elimelech's name means God is my king. But we know at this point, God is not his king because he's following his own solution. The Bible says he went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So Elimelech appears to make a bad decision later on in life 
because he trades in, he trades in a fa- one famine for three eventual funerals. And Webster says the word sojourn means temporary stay. So he goes temporarily to another country and says, hey, I'll get the help I need. I go to get the sustenance. He does not want to have permanent residence. He just wants enough to be able to get his family through this. But what's interesting about where he chooses to go, which, by the way, was the well-watered plains. It was, I mean, God was allowing things to happen there that was good. When he chooses to go there, what he doesn't stop to think of what Moab means to God. In fact, Moab was was the incestuous, incestuous relationship that Lot and Lot's daughter, of course, they got him drunk and they had a, Lot's daughter had a son and they named him Moab. Of course, the own father was, 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 was the one who uh, was the offspring of, the son was the offspring of him. And Moab from that point was worshipped pagan god, Shemosh, Baal, Peor. Uh, the people of Moab noted for their lawlessness, immorality, and brutal violence. They attacked and they opposed uh, Israel, when Israel, remember, they tried to get into the land, so they wanted to pass through Moab, and they says, no, you cannot walk through here. And then, of course, they tried to get Balaam to, to curse them, and God says, no, we're done with Moab. Moab will have no part of my people and really curse them. In fact, in Psalm 60, verse 8, God says, Moab is my wash pot. Now, I don't know about you, but wash pot may seem different to you than this verse means. Wash pot back then was when a servant would mop the floors with a rag and all that dirty water would go in there, just disgusting water, and that what was called the wash pot. So in other words, Moab was filthy, Moab was dirty, not just physically, but spiritually, morally, they were just something that was detested by God. So it seems Elimelech designed his own solution. Instead of calling on God for mercy and repenting, he wants to do his own thing. And so if you want to put the first slide up there, Brother Colby, you can kind of see the map there. Really, he doesn't go far. He just goes from one side of the Dead Sea to the other. It's not that far. It seems that if one area is famine and the other area is green, that's not that really that far to go. It's only, I don't know, a few miles, maybe 15, 20 miles. And it's right there along the river of Arnon. So why is Moab so lush? And why is Israel so dry? Well, if you see the next slide there, you can kind of see this is probably what Israel was at that time. It was dried out, it was dirty, it was probably like a lot of your yards right now that hasn't been getting a lot of rain unless you irrigate or unless you have the sprinklers going. And that was going on. Now, if you look at Moab, this is probably the, what Moab was. It was probably greener. Now, why was it so, so close, but why was one green and why wasn't? Well, you asked the same question I was asking this week, okay, if you are asking that. And so I looked it up, and someone said that a primitive food distribution center combined with limited options for food preservation. There was no stockpiling. Israel only grew what they could actually eat. If you remember, of course, with Joseph and Israel only, and of course, God, because God told him, he planned seven years in advance. But another thing that was interesting is because of the, the Mediterranean, the rains doesn't, uh, see, uh, see, doesn't, the rains don't always come like they should. And there's pockets of them, and, and sometimes they don't get the rain they need. Now, I will say as a farm boy growing up in Indiana, I had seen this happen many times. My dad could have a field that gets poured on, and 10 miles away, they didn't get a drop. 
Why is that? I never could figure it out. Neither could my dad. But my dad was always excited when the rain felt the right spot, you know. And therefore, my dad was a great man of prayer, especially during farming season, you know, because we need the rain. We didn't have irrigation systems like they do in the Willamette Valley there. It was, if it rains, it rains. If not, you're not going to have a good harvest. So for whatever reason, we know that Moab was getting rained on and Israel was not, which probably comes to the conclusion that God was orchestrating it so the famine would come and judgment would come. And Moab, even though they are wicked, they knew no better than to be wicked. And God still allowed the rain to fall on them. As we know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So what's interesting here is in verse 22, um, Boaz, of course, the barley, barley was grown and, and it was actually the most hardiest grain, and sometimes it would grow when nothing else would grow. And that is perhaps why the barley was, was starting to come back when Ruth and, and, and Naomi decided to go back. But the, the point is, Elimelech left because he was leaving a famine, but yet Boaz stayed and still made it through the famine. And it just goes to show that when you're living for the Lord, even in the tough times, God still takes care of his children, does he not? And so... We see responding to God's chastisement by running from God. Instead, Elimelech should have ran to God and says, I'm not running from you. I'm running to you for repentance. God, I'm coming to you on behalf of my family, myself, and my country. God, I'm desperately seeking you. Please forgive us for what we've done wrong. But I think the reason why Elimelech gets so much heat It's because he chose to go to the worst possible country to go to. A place where God had commanded in Scripture not to go to, as we'll see later. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's interesting here. To become too critical of Elimelech is kind of hypocritical, is it not? How many of us, including myself, have we become quite fearful and overwhelming that we tempted to seek secular solutions pagan solutions, if you will, instead of the face of God. It's so easy to do, is it not? I've been there before. How can I fix this situation? And God says, hey, how can you trust on me during this situation? Now, I'll be the first to admit, I know it's a little bit about hard work. I know a little bit about saving. I know about how being strategic and planning. I think all those are important. But at the end of the day, we cannot choose our solution over God's solution. We cannot choose what we want over what God wants, because God's always right. And so we see in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. That's why we must seek God's face. We see that in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In fact, God loves us so much that he will take care of us, because the Bible says in Romans eight thirty five, Who shall separate us from the love of God, Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril sword? Should famine separate us from the love of Christ? No, the Bible says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so we know this morning that even when the trials and the temptations, even the chastening comes our way, we can trust God and rely on him even through those times in our life. In fact, John Blanchard in his book, The Complete Gathered Gold, said, Affliction is God's shepherd dog to drive us back to the fold. Affliction is the school of faith. Affliction is like the ironsmith, shapes us as it smites. 
and afflictions is often God's best blessing sent in disguise. May I say this morning, often we see problems as obstacles. But may I encourage us to look at problems as opportunities. And so, we see Spur says this, The obstacles that we must face along life's rocky way are used by God so we might hear, Well done! from him someday. Austrian psychiatrist Viktor Frankl died on September 2nd, 1997. He had spent most of his life during World War II imprisoned in Auschwitz, much of his, his early years. He was stripped of his identity as a medical doctor and forced to work as a common laborer. He watched his mother, he watched his father, he watched his brother and wife die in consecration camps. All of his notes, all of his life works were stripped from him and burned. But yet, this great doctor said this, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. May I encourage us today to choose the right attitude. We cannot choose our circumstances, but we sure can choose our responses to those. Philippians 4.11, that not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And Isaiah 40, verse 31, wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. So what does Elimelech essentially do? Have you ever disciplined your children? Have you ever... Uh, you know, with the rod, or maybe with a, a grounding of sort, or maybe taking some privileges away, and you find out later that they found a way around the privileges, the privileges, they found a way to still experience them. And as a parent, it broke your heart. Because it wasn't about taking those privileges away, it was about them realizing what they did in the, wrong in their heart and getting it right. And that's what happened with Elimelech. Instead of getting right with God, he chose to find a way around it. And found himself in even deeper problems. In fact, Warren Worsby says, when trouble comes to our lives, we can do one of three things. Endure it, escape it, or simply enlist it. So we see the reality of trials. We see the resisting of trials. But then third of all, as we hasten on, I want us to see the reckoning of trials. So what happens? Well, the Bible says in verse number uh, Two, and the name of the man was Elimelech and Naomi, and the two sons, Malon and Chilion. We see the reckoning of trials through discipline. Malon means sick. Chilion means pining or wasting away. So perhaps maybe already this man, Elimelech, was starting to see the results of his discipline. Spurgeon says, better poverty with the people of God than plenty outside of the covenant land. Or better to starve in the will of God than to eat the enemy's bread, as Warren Worsby says. Many times, we may be hearing from God. Sometimes it's a small voice, as Elijah. Sometimes it's a thundering voice, as David, the prophet Nathan. And sometimes it's a subtle, direct means. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So we see the discipline. This man respond, uh, received because he left. We see the death he experienced. He died. Elimelech leaves a place of bread, seeking bread, only to find himself fleeing death and experiencing death. And when we run from God's love, we should expect to find less of what we are seeking. 
You can run away from famine, Warren Worsby says, but you cannot expect death. So we see this man uh, receives a discipline, he receives death, and then he sees defeat. In verse 4, the young boys eventually grow older, and uh, they took them wives of Moab, one Orpha, one Ruth. They dwelled there about 10 years. So what happens? These boys get older, and they decide they want to get married, and they look around. They can't find any Israelite woman in Moab. So they end up marrying Moabites, which, by the way, was something that God forbid in Deuteronomy 7, verse 1 through 3. We won't take the time to read it all, but the Bible says in verse 3, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. So we see like father, like son, making mistakes. Now the boys are. And this man's choice are now affecting his sons. And what happens? Well, Naomi and their daughter-in-law's faith death as both of these sons and husbands pass away. In those days, if you were a widow, you were not going to eat, you weren't going to survive, you weren't going to thrive, most likely. And so we see a time of desperation. That's what we see the effects of sin. If Hebrews eleven twenty five, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Uh, the way of the transgressor is hard, Proverbs thirteen fifteen. And so we see the reality of a trial. We see the resisting of a trial. We see the reckoning of a trial. But then, last of all, I want to see the results of a trial. And what's most exciting about as we wrap things up here? And I know I may have tried to get you back here again. If you can focus back in. It's probably most of the most, one of the most exciting things in all the world for you and me. We see God's gracious providence is not bound by man's foolishness. So even though Elimelech left, and we see he's paying for it dearly, didn't even help him, ended up hurting him in the end, we see, as David Atkinson says, fortunately, God's providence covers even our mistakes. And though we should not go around making mistakes because God's grace is there, no, 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 no. Sin can tie a knot, only God can undo. But aren't you thankful that when God undoes that knot, He still uses you and uses your paths to still be a blessing to others? And what brings us to number two, man's foolishness brought God's grace to you in my life today. Alexander McLaren brings out a very interesting point. He says, if Elimelech wouldn't have gone, then Ruth never would have been able to be come to the children of Israel. In other words, Ruth would have been stuck in Moab forever. But because Elimelech went and she married his son, we see now Ruth is able to enjoy the wonderful blessings and eventually becomes in the lineage of Christ. So what does that mean for you and I today? Well, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, it says, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. And we won't look through all that again, but because of what they did against for Balaam, because of the curse, God says the Moabites are not allowed in here. They're never going to come into my presence. But it's interesting how Ruth, because of her marriage, is now able to come to the very presence of God eventually. And it just shows you and me that we as Gentiles were lost without hope. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That's you and me. Strangers from the covenants of providence, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what Ruth is. That's how you and I are, with no hope. The Bible says... But now in Christ Jesus, 
ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh. How are we made nigh? By the blood of Christ. Do you realize this morning that you were born sinners? The Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sent into the world, death by sin, so death passes upon all men, but all have sinned. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short. The wages of sin is death. We have no hope without Christ. But because he was willing to come to earth, he was willing to be crucified on an old rugged cross, the blood that was shed allows entrance for you and me to Jesus Christ. This morning, your sin is keeping you from God. No matter how little you've done or how great you've done, it's keeping you from Jesus. And the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you realize this morning this picture of Ruth being allowed back, as we'll see next week, even in the midst of this bad choice, bad decisions, gives us a picture today that you and I, though we are alienated from God, we're strangers from God, we can become a child of God because... Of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you believe that? Will you accept that? It will change your life forever. But second of all, maybe you are going through a trial. Or maybe a chastening. You're growing weary of it. You're struggling with it. How should you respond? Well, years ago, there was an old missionary couple who had been working in Africa for many years... They'd reached many people for Christ. They are very little known. And they had come back, just they had no, no, no retirement. They had no place to go. But they were just going to come back and try to make a way for themselves. And on the boat coming back, somewhere along the line, they had picked up Teddy Roosevelt. And everybody was so excited. He was coming back from a hunting trip. And they were saying, hey, man, look at that. I get to see. I just wanted to be able to see the president. What a great man. What a great job he's done. And if I can just hear a little bit of that hunting experience, how great that would be. The whole way back as they it started wearing on the old missionary and he says to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these years? And here a president goes for a few days and everybody is wanting to meet him and everybody wants to hear about them. Nobody gives two hoots about us. Dear, his wife said, you shouldn't feel that way. And the man says, I can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. Well, they docked in New York and everybody was there and waiting to see the president. And as he stopped, stepped off the boat, the old gentleman just looked at his wife and his spirit had broke. He says, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife said, well, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell it to the Lord? They had gotten a cheap flat on the backside of town. And they had went down there and the man says, okay. So he went into the bedroom and a short time later he came out. His face was completely different. Bright, exciting. His wife said, what in the world happened in there? He said, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, Oh, but you're not home yet. One day we're going to be in heaven if you're a child of God. Can you imagine the joy over heaven over one sinner that repenteth? 
how great heaven will be and how loud it will be when we step into the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will he raise. So bravely run the race when we see Christ. Do you realize tonight that we have no hope without Christ if you're not saved? You need to come to him. But if you've lived your life for God, one day there's going to be a wonderful homecoming for you. It may not be here on earth, but it will be in heaven for you and me. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe there would be someone that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I, I didn't realize what Jesus did for me. I didn't know, I didn't realize what the blood did for me. I didn't realize how it has saved me and, or it has the opportunity to save me from sin. And I realized this morning that I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I have no hope without him. And Pastor Justin, if, if God would have me, I'd love to become a child of God. I'd love to begin a relationship with him. I'd love to know for sure, without a doubt, I'm going to heaven. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's moving around, no one's looking. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. How many say, Pastor Justin, that's me this morning. I want to know for sure, without a doubt, that I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's you, would you slip up your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? You say, Pastor Justin, I need to know for sure I'm going to heaven. If you just raised your hand, in your heart, will you say something like this? This is what I prayed years ago. Something like this. When I went to invite Jesus to my life. Say something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve to go to hell. Lord, I believe and trust in you. And invite you into my life. Please forgive me of all my sins. And come into my heart and save me. Thank you, Jesus. I receive you into my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, somebody would say, Pastor Justin, I just, I prayed that prayer and that was me. If you just slip up your hand real quick, I want to pray for you. I'm, no one's looking. I just want to rejoice with you. God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. You say, Pastor Justin, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. By the way, if you just prayed that prayer, you can know without a doubt you're going to heaven when you die. Maybe there's someone today that would say, Pastor Justin, I feel a little bit about like those missionaries. And sometimes I can get a little bit mopey about my life. But I realize today, I want to keep being faithful for the Lord. Because one day, all heaven will be rejoicing. And as Brother Mutcher told us on this week in staff meeting, he says, we live for the audience of one. And that is God. I'm going to say, Pastor Justin, will you pray for me that I'll have the right spirit and I'll keep serving the Lord? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? God bless you. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone today that would say, Pastor Justin, I don't know if it's chastening or a trial, but I am going through something right now. And it is hard. It's difficult. But I'm going to choose this morning to give it to God and allow God to continue to work on my heart and get us where he needs me to be. If that's you this morning, we slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you all over, all over. And then third of all today, I want us to think about 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. The Bible says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily 
shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and slow let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Last of all, I want us to take a moment to just pray and search our hearts and say, God, is there anything between me and you? Is there any sin? Is there any maybe bad thoughts, you know, words I've said and things I've done that would be displeasing to you? I want to get it right right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me encourage you as I close in prayer this morning, as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, as we get ready to thank God and remember what the blood, what the, what, what the blood has done for you and me and what Jesus Christ did on Calvary and what it meant for Ruth and what it means for you and me. May you take a moment and just search yourself and just give it to God. God will let you know in your heart if you ask him. Will you take a moment and pray with him as I pray aloud? Lord, we sure do love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. Lord, I feel like many today, some part of the message, Lord, impacted their life. Some gave their life to you for salvation. We're thankful for that. Lord, others, Lord, maybe are burdened down with, Lord, the, the frustrations of trials and chastening, and they're done with it. But they learned this morning that they want to give it to you. One day, heaven's going to come, and one day we get to see you face to face. And we want to remain faithful. We want to get through it. We want you to help us. I don't know what all that looks like, what all that means. It's beyond what I can comprehend. But you know it all. Your thoughts and ways are higher than ours. So, Lord, I pray you help these dear people. Be with those this morning who are going through that trial, going through that chastening. You'll give them the strength and the encouragement You'll give them the, 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 the grit. You'll give them whatever you need to give them to help them get through it so that you can shape us to who you want us to be. And Lord, be with those who are praying right now about something that you put on their heart. Lord, you know how I spent some time with you already this morning searching my heart. And I've given you some things. I've asked you for forgiveness. Or be with those here this morning that maybe there's something in their heart that they need to get right. I pray that you'll help them, Lord. We sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As our men come forward, we'll get ready uh, for the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do have one or two things to, to tend to after this, but I want us to observe the Lord's Supper this morning with this thought of we, can, we have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. And let's think about this morning the broken body of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and me, the whipping, uh, the suffering, the bleeding, and then he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as our men get ready to give, we're going to start off with the, the bread, which resembles the broken body of Jesus Christ, the, the whip, all he went through for you and me. And let's think about that this morning and have a greater appreciation, maybe, or maybe just a rekindled remembrance of what Christ did for you and me on the cross. If you're a child of God, uh, you can partake this morning. And uh, men, why don't you go ahead and get started on that?
Thank you. The Bible says there, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's thank the Lord real quick. Lord, we love you. Thank you again for loving us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your willingness to go to the cross. Thank you for all you do for us. Lord, as the Bible says later here, this do in remembrance of me. May we remember your goodness to us and how grateful we are that you are willing to come and make a way for us to be able to spend eternity with you and to be able to be your child here on earth and be able to enjoy the wonderful relationship we have with you. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says there, in the same manner, he also took the cup. And of course, the cup is the juice, which is representative of the blood that he shed for us. Now this time, the men will pass the juice out.
Bible says there, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood. This do you oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you again for the blood that you shed for us. May we never forget it. May we always be thankful. Thank you for the power and the blood and all it does for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. If you could put these in the seat back in front of you. Men, thank you so much. I appreciate your help today. Uh, we will gather those cups up later. And uh, thank you, men. I appreciate your, 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 your help and in, in all that. <clears throat> we should have one last thing we want to do uh, before we show the video. And uh, Chris and Francis Burton, see, raise your hand back there. And they came to me and said they want to join the church today. And uh, they've both been saved, baptized, and are currently in discipleship right now. And God's doing a work in this young couple's life and their two children. And so all in favor of them joining our church say aye. Aye. It carries. God bless you. Welcome to the family, Chris and Francis. We're so excited. And we're looking forward to serving the Lord together in the future. And make sure you get to know them. If you can, they're a great couple. And let's show a video of some upcoming events. Uh, upcoming events. It's less than two minutes, and then we'll be on our way. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a sermon from our associate pastor, Chris Vestal. Churchwide Outreach will meet Saturday, September 16th at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and help us as we endeavor to pass out thousands of invitations to two of our upcoming events, Tailgate Sunday and Pumpkin Sunday. We are having an exciting trip coming up October 12th. We're going on the Mount Hood Railway from Hood River to Parkdale. We are going to have an exciting time. We have a box lunch waiting for us when we arrive. The whole trip takes about an hour and a half. We leave from the church for $50 per person. Sign up today. We had 35 tickets purchased. We had 38 people sign up, so we have purchased more. Now 60 of us can go from the church, so sign up today. Join us next Sunday as we celebrate Grandparents' Day in our 11 a.m. service. We'll be recognizing grandparents in the service, and we will have a free meal to follow for those grandparents and their families in attendance. Awanas will be starting back this Wednesday, September 6th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there will be fun-themed nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana is for children two years old through fifth grade, and there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the child already has a uniform. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you, and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you tonight at 5. Well, I'm sure your stomachs are rumbling. Go get some lunch. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. You are dismissed.